come from Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 12, verses 13 and 14. I will be reading the uh, New New King James Version. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. Sort of as an addendum to the announcements, Ray mentioned the fact that Bandy Burt uh, is struggling. She's doing a little better. She spent some time in the hospital. But uh, I think it's also in the bulletin the, the fact that this Tuesday is her 99th birthday. I'm just saying, if she got a whole bunch of birthday cards from the people that she loves the most here at university, I know that would cheer her up and mean a lot to her. So I would encourage all of us to do that on her 99th birthday. I'm glad you're here this morning. I appreciate the presence of every single one of you. Your presence is indicative of your spiritual interest, and that certainly means everything. Just a couple of weeks ago, we talked about choices, and I've said from this pulpit a number of times that life is but a series of choices, and I really believe it is. Some of them are unimportant, and some of them are rather consequential. We mentioned in that particular lesson that when you wake up in the morning, uh, what you decide to do that, well, actually, I guess choices are to be made even before you get up in the morning, isn't it? Somebody pointed that out to me when I preached that lesson two weeks ago. They said, you know what? I lie there in bed thinking about, do I want to get up? Do I want to hit the snooze button? So even before we get up, we have to make some choices. You know, you're lying there in bed and thinking, well, unemployment really isn't all that bad. But uh, so you've got choices to make even before you get up in the morning. So whether you have orange juice or grape juice for breakfast really doesn't matter that much. But whether you are faithful to your husband or wife matters a great deal. So there are choices in life that are relatively unimportant, and there are those that are very consequential. And I want us to look at that this morning in terms of our stewardship of the ministries and the opportunities that we have that God puts before us. Every decision is important. Watch this sequence very carefully, if you will. Every decision that we make is important because your character is composed by the choices that you make. Think about that for a moment. Your character is comprised of the series of choices that you make every day of your life. Your reputation then, in turn, is the assessment that other people make of your character. Now, that's foundational, so I'm going to repeat that. Our character is comprised of the choices that we make. Reputation is the assessment that others make of your character. And so the impact that we not only are having in this world in terms of our own eternal destiny, but the reputation, the character that we show to others, will either help point them to heaven or point them in the other direction. And that's why what we're going to be talking about for the next few moments this morning is very important. I know this, the wise man said back in the Old Testament, in Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 1, a good name is to be chosen rather than good, great riches, and favor is better than silver and gold. So how do you get that good name that Solomon is discussing? Well, by making right choices in life. As you look to the Lord in faith, you'll grow to embrace God in every fact, in every phase of your life. I want to talk for a moment about obedience and stewardship because some choices can be selected between some real clear alternatives. There are some choices that God's people make in this world that you really don't have to struggle. You don't have to wrestle a great deal with. You can just turn to a particular page, an Old or New Testament, and there are some places where it just says, now this is right and this is wrong. 
So these are black and white decisions that we need to make every day. And, and it's imperative that whenever God has spoken on a particular subject, that we always vote for God, that we always choose to go in the direction that God would have us to go. That's why he's given us this instruction book. But one thing is clear, where God has commanded, we must obey. I hope that you'll either write that down or etch that in, in your brain somewhere. Most choices that we make, though, are just matters of stewardship. These are the lesser degrees of importance choices that we make. It's a matter of stewardship. How you spend your money may or may not be a specific indication of what you think about your relationship to God, but it still is an indication of the stewardship of the financial resources that God has entrusted to your care. Let me explain what I mean by that. You just have to choose to do the best you can with what God has given you. But how do you decide on the best choice? Once again, I'm a firm believer that you can't open the Bible and find a specific roadmap for your life. God doesn't tell you what turn to take in every aspect of your life. Now, God's general plan for your life obviously is revealed in Scripture, and we need to heed that and we need to apply that. But the smaller choices that we must make, God is going to allow us to use the wisdom that hopefully he has granted to us to make those choices as best we can. We, we pray for wisdom. We gather all the information that we can on a particular choice that must be made. And then we make the decision, hopefully within the framework of God's will. But again, there's no specific roadmap for our individual lives in God's word. There's no place in the Bible, because I've looked, there's no place in the Bible where it says, now, Randy, you're supposed to marry Mia. There's no place in the Bible where it says, now, Bill, you're supposed to accept that job in Dallas. You know, you, you can't find it because there isn't that degree of specificity in God's revealed word. God doesn't tell us what career to follow, who to marry, what city to live in, or what our friend, who our friends should be. And so if we're looking for those particulars, we're going to be greatly disappointed. But these decisions still matter. I think who our friends are and who we've chosen to marry, we would all understand those are major decisions. Those are decisions that can shape our lives and can shape our destiny. So God doesn't tell us, though, about what his will is in the particulars of those choices, but we have to make them on our own. You know, if you look back over the framework of our lives, the span of our lives, it kind of started out that way, didn't it? As infants, we don't really have any choice. You don't go to a newborn baby and say, now what would you like to have for lunch? That child is not old enough, doesn't have the mental capacity to be able to make those kinds of decisions. And so we make the decisions for them when they're children. When you're a baby, you have everything done for you. But then as you move into adulthood, you have to make the best decisions you can on the general guidelines that God has provided for us in his owner's manual. Jesus tells us that those words, the word of God, provides a foundation for our lives. If you've got your Bible, turn to Matthew 7, and I want to read, begin reading with verse 24 and read two or three verses, and I will guarantee you, if you've read the Bible through at all, you're familiar with these passages. If you've been to VBS and you've sung, a wise man built his house upon the... Don't worry, I'm going to sing that this morning. I don't want to run everybody off. But you're familiar with these words. Here's what the Lord said. And remember that these are 
especially important because they are in the Sermon on the Mount. Of all the things that Jesus could have talked about in that sermon, he chose to talk about the foundation for the lives of his people. And here's what he says, beginning with verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock, that is the bedrock of God's eternal word. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. If correctly read, verses 24 through 27. Now, whenever I talk about and read these passages from the pulpit, I usually mention that sometimes, at least in some of the Bible classes that I've been a part of, the dichotomy in that passage is here's someone who has heard God's word and here's someone who hasn't. That's not what he's talking about. Both groups of people that Jesus discussed here have clearly heard. They have had access to the word of God. One chooses to build their life on it and the other chooses not to. That's the difference and the two categories of people in Matthew 7, 24 through 27. But the point of all of that is all of life prospers when you build on the bedrock foundation of God's word. And I think we need to etch that into our minds every day that we live. Make sure that you know God's word. Spend time in God's word on your own. Don't just open the Bible when we come or your electronic device when we come to worship. Or when you're in a Bible class, spend time with God's word so that you'll know what God's will is. But then make sure that you are making application of what you've learned. That you're building, literally, block at a time, your life on the word of God. And I, if I could say that clearer, I would. But we need to continually be studying the Bible to have that depth of understanding of God's will for our life. And then we need to try to be good stewards in every area of our life. And maybe I need to stop very quickly and define terms. According to the Bible, and Paul has something to say about good stewardship in his letter to the Corinthians, stewardship is, is basically the concept of my understanding that what I have is not really mine. That is, it has been given to me by a benefactor, and I am to simply use that for my limited time on earth. And I could just really, if I had the time, list everything, every resource, every benefit, every blessing that I have, that you have in your life, would fall under the general stewardship of God's children, would it not? My time, my money, my family, my resource, any resource that you could imagine, I need to determine that I'm going to be a good steward in every facet of my life. And think about this. As your life changes, the application of God's eternal word changes also. You never step in the river in the same place in your life. So when you're younger, then there are, there are going to be some of God's words, maybe just the principles thereof, would be more applicable to you than when you're older. As you get older, you'll find that there are certain aspects of God's word that are more relevant to you now that you are in your senior years than they were when you were a teenager. But still the point is, God's truth does not change. Your life changes, but God's word is always there. Jesus said, serving as that firm foundation for the lives of the faithful. The prophet Jeremiah told us 
In the Old Testament book of Lamentations, this is chapter 3, beginning with verse 22. The steadfast, we even sing this beautiful song, don't we? The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him. And then the part that we don't sing is this line, the, the Lord is good to those who wait for him and, and the soul that seeks for him. That's, that's when we'll live blessed lives. The point is God's truth never grows stale and it never grows irrelevant. The Lord's guidance is important to you from the cradle to the grave. God has something to say about every stage, every aspect of your life and mine. And so we always need to be into the word and to pray for wisdom as, as we're studying God's word. That's James 1.5 if you want the Bible for it. Pray for wisdom and, and God will give that to you liberally. So stewardship really comes up in three main areas of our lives. Number one, how we use our time. Number two, how we use our material possessions. And thirdly, how we relate to the people in our lives. That is relationship stewardship. These are the choices, the three main aspects of the choices that we'll make in our lives. Let me mention very quickly what we mean by each of these, and then the lesson will be yours. Consider with me first the stewardship of scheduling, how we use our time. Benjamin Franklin, a well-known American, said this about time. He said, Dost thou love life? Then do not squander time, for that is the stuff of which life is made. Now, that's not inspired, but it's right. And, and we need to, to live each day with that understanding that I'm either going to use my time well as a good steward or I'm going to squander. I'm going to waste my time. And it's very easy in this world of all kinds of distractions for us to spend most of our time on minor matters and forget about major matters. In the same way, Solomon said in Proverbs 6, beginning with verse 9, how long will you lie there? Think about the image. It's almost humorous except for the fact that it's serious business that Solomon is, is painting for us. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? If you haven't looked up the definition of sluggard lately, I would encourage you to do that. And, and it's, it's a rather serious definition, by the way. When will you arise from your sleep, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man? Here Solomon is picturing the person who feels like his responsibility for life is to hold down his recliner. Now, that's not King James, but that's really the essence of the passage. Here is someone who does not have any kind of concept of the stewardship of the time in his life, and so he squanders it away. He lies there. He, he sleeps all the time. He has no real regard for any constructive thing that might be a part of his or her life. And, and Solomon is saying just the opposite of all of that. He is saying God expects you to be industrious with your time. God expects you to use your time well while we're here. And we never know whether or not our lives will be short or long, but the time that we've been blessed with, use your time wisely. Every day is a gift of God, and we need to put each day to good use. How you schedule your time really speaks volumes, does it not, about the priorities of your life. If you just were able to share your you know, your calendar or how, wherever you write the appointments and the responsibilities and the things that you need to be doing each day, 
If you were able to share that with everyone in this room, we could read through that and see what your priorities are. It's like the fellow said, give me five minutes with your checkbook, and I can tell you what your priorities are. That's pretty much true, especially in regards to our time. Paul wrote this to the Ephesians chapter 5 of the book of Ephesians, verse 15 and following. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making... The best use of time, there it is, making the best use of time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. I really believe Paul is cutting to the heart of the matter there. He's telling us what we need to do is to take time to reflect on how we use our time. Isn't that it? That's the essence of it. And most important, he wants to know, does your faith in Christ show through in the choices that you're making regarding the use of your time? Secondly, the stewardship of our resources, of our material possessions. John Wesley, who of course was the founder of the Methodist movement, preached a famous sermon on the right use of money during one time years ago, during the course of his ministry, in which he outlined three simple rules. And of course then, as preachers are supposed to do, he elucidated on each of those rules for about 35 minutes. But anyway, here were the three rules, and I'm not going to spend near that much time on them. Number one, he said, you need to earn all you can. Number two, you need to save all you can. And number three, you need to give all that you can. And I really believe that if we talk about the stewardship of our financial resources, that kind of boils it all down to what ought to be most important for each and every one of us. These principles are not, you, you'll not find any scripture that says that specifically, but I believe they're based on scriptural concepts and they're sound advice about the proper use of our material possessions. I know this, the Bible does command us to contribute financially to the work of the church on the first day of every week, that example is given for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, 1 and 2. We also need to consider, and this is a very personal thing, I understand that, but we need to consider how much money we spend on entertainment and luxuries compared to how much time we spend and how much money we spend in the Lord's service. If I am frittering away more money than I'm giving to the work of the greatest cause on earth, I need to have my head and my heart examined. The reason for that is stated, by the way, by the Lord himself in Luke 12, 34. The Lord was not just interested in people's money in terms of how much money can we bring into the coffers, but he was interested in making sure that they were dedicating everything they had and were to the greatest cause on earth. And here's the way he explained it. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And that's why we need to be good stewards of what we own in terms of our possessions and our money because we're demonstrating where our treasure is and where we put our treasure is where our heart will surely follow. Third and finally, think about the stewardship of relationships, the stewardship of friends and family. And someone has said, since we will leave all of these material things behind, it really is true, or at least it's worth thinking about, that the only real thing from this world that we will carry into eternity is our relationships. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about heaven and how beautiful that place must be. And we talked about one of the things that stands out most about the biblical descriptions of heaven is the fact that in our relationships with people of faith, 
the people that we've known from the kingdom of God that may span the years or even the decades, how wonderful it will be to have that grand reunion, to be able to see people in our own families who are people of faith that we have not seen in years, but to know that they're going to be in that holy city. Relationships are so very important in this life, and I think all of us understand that at some level. The Bible talks about constantly the importance of relationships, and that's one of the reasons why we've we spent a year talking about one another passages and emphasizing some of those passages every Sunday morning. Because God would have us to make sure that our focus is not on ourselves, but it's on other people. That's why that's important. Relationships are just that important in God's estimation. For example, James 2 and verse 8 says, If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, and here it is, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. James just wants us to know if we place proper priority on, proper emphasis on relationships and we really have attempted to the best of our ability to love, that is to seek the highest welfare of our neighbor as surely as we have in regards to our own welfare, he said, you can mark that down as a good day. You are doing quite well if that's where your priorities and your emphasis is. Beyond the general command to love your neighbor, God also provides some pretty specific instructions for the key relationships in our lives. I want to mention those, and then we're through. The Bible teaches about the importance of friendship. I think if we put it to a vote this morning, that we would all agree that having friends is important. Someone has said you need to have at least seven friends as you go through life. Six to carry the casket and one to speak words over you. You know what I'm talking about. I mean, at least as a minimum, that would be so very important. But I, on a very serious level, I think every one of us realize how important friendship is. If not, then we can turn to the Bible and we can see what God has to say about that. The Bible tells us a number of times about how we need to, to love our neighbor. The Bible teaches us in Proverbs 18 and verse 24, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Fidelity to friends, I want us to appreciate, is commanded in Scripture. But then the Bible also warns us against the wrong kind of friends. We talked about that within the last week or two. And we reminded ourselves that 1 Corinthians 15 verse 33 is still in the Bible. And it still says, do not be deceived, bad company ruins good morals. First we make our friends, then our friends make us. That's what we talked about just a couple of weeks ago. And so God wants us to make godly choices when we're choosing our friends because our friends are either going to be pulling us up or they're going to be pulling us down one way or the other. But they're going to affect our decisions, those choices that we make that we were talking about in the outset of this lesson. The Bible also teaches about the importance and the permanence of marriage. I mean, you can't hardly turn a page in Scripture without seeing some kind of instruction about how important our marriages are or at least should be. It provides wonderful counsel about selecting a mate. And you may be thinking, well, I haven't read that verse. In fact, if you're looking for a mate this morning and you're looking for divine instruction and guidance in doing that, I got to thinking about that as I was working up. I do actually think when I work up lessons, I wanted to, uh, to reassure you of that. And I was thinking about, are there passages of Scripture that really help us? 
when we're looking for a, a prospective husband or, or wife. And I really believe there are. I believe every man who's looking for a godly wife with which to share his life would do well to turn to Proverbs 31 and read verses 10 through 31. You know, you don't have to take that down to the police department and say, I would like a composite sketch of this woman, please. Because there isn't much in there about her physical appearance. But there's a great deal in there about what's on the inside, isn't there? And so if, if you're looking for that kind of godly woman, you would do well to marry someone like that. What about the women? Is there a commensurate, a corresponding passage that deals with the kind of man you ought to be looking for? I believe there is. I believe if you'll go to the letters that Paul wrote to Titus and Timothy and look at Titus chapter 1, 1 Timothy chapter 3, that talks about the qualifications of godly shepherds, men who can trustfully and competently and righteously lead God's people. Now, I know that's not the purpose of those, uh, those verses and, and those descriptions, those life qualities that Paul is talking about to those men. But, but as I was reading through those chapters just this past week, I couldn't help but think there's a composite picture of a good man to marry. I mean, all of those things are things that each one of us as Christians ought to be trying to develop and cultivate in our own lives. And although you don't choose your parents, and except for adoption, you don't even get to choose your children. We make a lot of choices in how we live out our relationships between parents and children. The Bible gives some very specific instructions. Let me leave you with one example of that. Ephesians chapter 6, 1 through 4. And let me say, dads, if you haven't read this verse carefully and used it to inspect and then to measure your own life as, as a dad, then you need to do that before the day is over. Here's what Paul says. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. So it begins with verse 1 with instruction to the children. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, for this is the first commandment with promise. That it may go, here's what the promise is. That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Some versions say to discouragement. But bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. So as we make our choices about life, a godly priority on building the right relationship in our families between husband and wife, between parents and children is so very, very important. This is the stewardship of relationships and God says, I'm not going to make every choice for you. But you're going to have to grow in Christ. You get to grow in Christ. And as you grow and as you develop a greater appreciation for the will of God in your life on a daily basis, those decisions will, will be easier and easier. The longer you live in the will of God, the easier it is to make decisions that you know would please God. That's the good news. But you've got to start. And you've got to start with these three areas that we've been talking about this morning. And notice that in this instruction to the children in the family, obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. The promise that he gives is, is a long and a good life to those who follow the Lord's way. And generally that will be true. If you listen to what mom and dad says, you're probably going to live a happy and a much longer life at least by listening to and heeding their counsel. Sometimes, of course, bad things happen that we can't explain or we can't understand, and we, we know that. And yet still, all things being equal, God's people will normally enjoy blessings in life. 
That's the abundant life that we talk about so much right here in this auditorium, John 10, verse 10. If a man would love life and see good days. Don't you love that? That got my attention. If a man would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. There's God's way of living a happy and a blessed life. And it doesn't come by just guessing at it. As I said a few Sunday nights ago, you will never guess what God's will is for your life. You've got to read it. And fortunately, he's given us this roadmap that goes from earth to heaven. And although these blessings are often a part of following with the Lord, the blessings of eternity are a promised certainty. The Lord says if you live this way, if you live the way I would have you to live, you're going to spend eternity with me in a place called heaven. In making good choices, I think we would always do well to remember our text. All has been heard. Let's hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the all of man. That's what it's all about. We sometimes sing, there's a great day coming, and that song asks the follow-up question, are you ready for that day to come? And that's the question we ask you this morning. If you're not a child of God, what better time than right now? You're among people that will encourage you to make that right decision and then to stick with it for the rest of your life to decide I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to give my heart and my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. I want him to dictate my life from now on and to direct my paths. I'm not going to do that on my own. I want the Lord's direction. I will seek his will in, in my life in every aspect of my life from this point forward. Based upon sincere repentance and your willingness to confess your belief that Jesus is God's son, it will be our sincere delight to baptize you in Christ where you contact his redeeming blood that will wash away all of your past mistakes and you can start your life over starting right now while we stand and while we sing.